You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 35 West Shelton Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.church. Laura, would you, um, is there anything else that you want to share about why you picked Rahab or even your particular um, perspective as we come into this conversation? Yeah, you know, um, Rahab, uh, to me, it's a very interesting story, interesting woman of someone who embraced the intersection of her identity. As we will go through, we will um, touch on her identity as a woman, as someone other than um, the Israelites um, uh, in a community that was actually you know, identified as a um, occupying land that, uh, that the Israelites felt that God was calling them to um, to take over, uh, but she also was uh, a, a prostitute, um, and thinking about kind of the socioeconomics of that, thinking of um, the implications of that in, 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 in her society and community, I think is really important and adds richness to the story in terms of how she and the, the role that she plays um, um, for herself, for her own individual community, but also um, for the Israelite uh, story as well. Um, and I, one thing I like about this story in Rahab is that um, it really helps me, because generally, I think, it's, I think it's good to when we start to read the Bible to try to name kind of the, the lens that you approach it with. And I know for me, my lens is I, um, I generally view the Bible as, very, as divinely human. Um, and so in that, I often feel that when I read the stories of the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, it's a mirror of our own humanity. So how they interacted mm. with God at that time, um, in ancient times, uh, maybe would be more built on survival, whereas in 2022, our perspective may be a little bit different. But we can still find God in those moments. Um, and it's, it's not a static thing. Thus... Mm even in reading it now, I felt a little bit of tension of certain themes that I think it's worth bringing up because I think that authenticity, um, bringing that authenticity to the Bible um, actually adds for a richness um, to our experience and um, uh, a lot is fertile ground for God to work, in my opinion. So. Yeah. Will you set the stage for where we find the story of sure. Rahab? Um, and Jeffy, can you, are we good on the Zoom? Can people hear me? Okay. All right. Um, so the Rahab's story is in the book of Joshua. Um, and, and it's the sixth book of the Bible. Um, and it was actually, I think it's really interesting to think about the history of, of, of any book of the Bible, if you can, to kind of frame the context. So it was written, thought to be written approximately in 550 B.C., when the Israelites were in exile in, in Babylon. Um, and so I th that piece is really important because um, the author is living at a time where they're in exile and they have lost the land that they felt that they um, possessed. Um, and so when they're telling this story, they're telling a story partly to um, almost kind of a reflection of like, how do we even get here, right? How do we get to this point? Um, and that's where it can be really useful for them to think about, did we follow God's instructions or not? Um, and what were those instructions? Um, but also kind of, also trying to bring a sense of hope into that and thinking about 
well, you know, this is not the end of the story. Um, you know, trying to bring a, a bigger perspective of, 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 of uh, a redemption story later on. And um, when you look at Joshua, I think some interesting things about him at that time uh, in, the early, in the early chapters, he was entering in, they were just entering in the promised land. Moses had stayed back as had been kind of ordained by God. And Joshua actually operates very similar to Moses. Like, I, didn't, I didn't know this till I read commentary about it, but he, they split the water just like an exodus, <laughs> except it was the Jordan River. They carried the tabernacle. Um, and, and a key part of, of Joshua, um, if you read more, a lot more into it, is they have a series of, of conflicts where um, essentially kind of fulfilling the prophecy of taking over the land. And there's an experience where Joshua interacts with uh, God's angel, um, and God reminds Joshua that this is God's war, not really some kind of a, 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 necessarily a human, um, only like a human um, aspect to it. So I think that kind of sets the stage. And so in Joshua, in Joshua two, um, we're at the stage where they're just first uh, um, approaching Jericho. Great. Should I get us started? Yeah. I'll, read, I'll read the first section here. This is Joshua 2, 2. Joshua, Nun's son, secretly sent two men as spies from Shittim. He said, go, look over the land, especially Jericho. They, they set out and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab. They bedded down there. So that's our introduction to Rahab. That's the first time we hear of her. The spies are sent on this mission to scope out the land um, that the Israelites are going to take. And they go to a prostitute's house. Um, it's not clear whether or not they are her customers. Um, I wondered as I read this, does they bedded down there? Does that, what does that imply? Um, there's no real indication that the spies had sex with her, but it's, it's um, just a curious detail when we're thinking about who she is and who they are and why they go to her home. Yeah, I, <laughs> uh, as we were talking more about um, the spies like, and, their, and their journey, I think it's interesting in that um, you know, Julie brought up a good point uh, if you pay attention to the spies and their decisions, I don't know, a little bit, they were a little sloppy. Like, you know, they weren't, it wasn't really clear what their thought process was um, in terms of, you know, when I think of spies, I think of someone who's trying to be really covert or really cautious. And as you see throughout the chapter, that just was not the case at all, it, you know. And one of the interesting things, and um, I was really glad that I was there for Jim's talk last week with Esther, but you will notice in this chapter, there really was no mention of God saying, go do this, go do that, right? It wasn't like a clean, like, you know, God told me to do this and therefore I'm going to go do X or Y. It really seemed to be more so they were making... I think it went out. Um, so <laughs> it didn't really seem like there was a lot of, uh, um, oh, let's pray about this, have God kind of inform the decision. Um, and so in reading in that way, you, there's a little bit of kind of, um, for me, a bemused smile kind of as we, as we read this. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was interesting as well. Verse 2, someone told the king of Jericho, 
Men from the Israelites have come here tonight to spy on the land. So the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab, send out the men who came to you, the ones who came to your house, because they have come to spy on the entire land. So as Iboro pointed out, this secret mission is um, not off to a great start. Apparently the king already knows where they're from, uh, where they are, and what they're there to do. Word, word for word. So, um, do you want to pick up? Yeah, so I'll start with uh, verse 4. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. Then she said, of course the men came to me, but I didn't know where they were from. The men left when it was time to close the gate at dark, but I don't know where the men went. Hurry! chase after them you might catch up with them but she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the flax stalks that she had laid out on the roof the men from jericho chased after them in the direction of the jordan up to the fords as soon as those chasing them went out the gate was shut behind them i think that phrase of course the men uh came to me is so interesting because um, I, I wonder, is she using her reputation to her advantage? You know, like, like maybe their prejudice against her inclines them to believe the lie that she's, that she's telling, which actually reminds me a little bit of um, the, first, the first week in this series, we talked about the midwives, Shifra and Pua, um, who were... Uh, Pharaoh called them in and, and told them to kill all the Israelite boys. And they used Pharaoh's prejudice against him and said, no, no, the, the Israelite women are hardy and they give birth before we even get there. And he just believed that lie too. So it's interesting to me that she, in her response, she's clearly um, crafting a narrative for, to, to you know, distract them. Yeah, and I, um, I really like that. And I think, like, thinking about her response, we, we had talked about like, the, the fact that she leads with, of course, the men came to me. And it, it makes you think, like, what was going on from a socioeconomic standpoint? Was it something like where, because of her status as a prostitute, she couldn't afford not to? Um, how was she uh, looked at in the context of that um, society uh, at Canaan and, um, you know, uh, so I, I think I, I thought it was really interesting. I thought it was also interesting that, you know, coming from my or a lot of our background, um, I was told I was, I was told as a kid, don't you dare lie, not even a little white lie, nothing. Don't you always tell the truth. But yeah, here she is, like literally lying <laughs> to save to, to save um, uh, uh, these Israelite spies, and so it's. You know, it's interesting kind of um, thinking about that, you know, in, in, in this text. We might come back to that towards the end. I'll keep reading in verse 8. I'm reading from uh, the translation, the CEB, by the way, if you're following along. Before the spies bedded down, Rahab went up to them on the roof. She said to the, the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Terror over you has overwhelmed us. The entire population of the land has melted down in fear because of you. 
We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Reed Sea in front of you when you left Egypt. We've also heard what you did in Shehan and Og, the two kings of the Amorites on the other side of the Jordan. You utterly wiped them out. We heard this and our hearts turned to water. Because of you, people can no longer work up their courage. This is because the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now, I have been loyal to you, so pledge to me by the Lord that you in turn will deal loyally with my family. Give me a sign of good faith. Spare the lives of my father, my mother, brothers and sisters, along with everything they own. Rescue us from death. The men said to her, we swear by our own lives to secure yours. If you don't reveal our mission, we will deal loyally and faithfully with you when the Lord gives us the land. Yeah, so it's interesting, like, um, in reading this, like, now it's probably multiple times, I still get something out of it. And I, just as you were reading it, I was thinking about it, and I was just really resonating a lot with Rahab in that, like, think about their perspective that she's hearing of this God. She's hearing of this God that's, like, wiping everybody out. She's hearing of this God that, where we don't, they don't, her people doesn't even have the courage to stand up. But yet, in that, she takes a huge risk and says um, and demands that um, uh, that that, um, that, the, that the Israelites treat her and treat her and her family in good faith. That, in, in essence, that um, she demands that they kind of exhibit, I guess. Um, live out a different way of kind of how we think about God, right? In terms of um, uh, treating, with, treating with respect. And so I, I just, like when I think about that, think about myself as a BIPOC kind of person of color, as a minority, like to be able to stand up to that in the setting of, um, um, of kind of that, what, what you know is coming, it just takes like trem tremendous courage, not to mention She's a prostitute. She's not like a, a royalty. Um, um, and yeah, so I just thought that was like a really courageous action. Yeah, and, and here when she lists her household, it's notable that she's not listing a husband or children. She, in, in a society where um, you need a husband to uh, provide for you, like you said, there's economic implications, um, and prostitution was practiced for um, economic survival. So um, she really is on the margins, and she is seizing this opportunity and, and asks to be spared. Um, she, she clearly believed in this powerful God, and she believed that destruction was was coming. Yeah, um, and one thing I was thinking about as you were talking, um, are there other examples of women in the Bible being heads of household? Um, not that many that I'm aware of. Um, in the Old Testament especially, Rahab, I think, is a... She does not fit the mold. Um, when she's demonstrating this... Um, 
assertiveness and even authority for the sake of her household. Um, she, she, through her, her family is going to be saved. Uh, she, through her as a Canaanite woman, they, um, her whole family is brought into the Israelite, the nation of Israel. Um, and later in scripture, we see that she's named in the genealogy of Jesus. So she really is elevated here um, in a way that very few other women in the Old Testament are. In fact, in, the, in, the, in Matthew's genealogy of Jesus, where there's 42 generations acknowledged, there are five women named, and Rahab is one of them in 42 uh, generations. So... Uh, is there anything else? Um, can you talk a little bit, Ibora, about what you mean about heads of household or like, like what is she doing here that is kind of setting her apart? Yeah. Um, so I, I think that what's interesting is that she is um, not just thinking about her family, but she's also serving almost like a, as a prophet, as an oracle for um, uh, what God is, is going to do. Um, and she's making a decision, especially being on the margins to say, I'm going to be a part of that. Um, and, you know, I think that, uh, again, kind of proclaiming that and also inserting her, inserting herself, inserting her, um, her, uh, descendants in that, um, especially in the in the context of ancient times, um, is is not a is not a trivial thing. So, yeah, she she gets them to pledge to her by the Lord that they would that she would be protected and all of her family. So in verse fifteen, so she lowered the spies on a rope through the window. Her house was on the outer side of the city wall, and she lived inside the wall. Then she said to them, go toward the highlands so that those chasing you don't run into you. Hide there for three days until those chasing you return, then you may go on your way. She's really calling the shots here. She's, once she had their pledge, of protection for her and her family. She releases them with instructions for how to escape safely, which is funny to me because they're spies, <laughs> but she's coaching them. Uh, clearly, they're not that good at what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's keep reading here at the right. end. The, uh, verse 17. The, med, the men said to her, um, we, we won't be responsible for this pledge you made us swear unless when we come into the land, you tie this red woven cord in the window through which you lowered us. Gather your father, your mother, your brothers, and your whole family into the house with you. Those who go outside of the doors of your house into the street will have only themselves to blame for their own deaths. We won't be responsible. If anyone lays a hand on those who are with you in the house, we will take blame for their death. But if you reveal our mission, we won't be responsible for the pledge you made us swear. She said, these things will happen just like you said. She sent them away and they went off. Then she tied uh, the red cord in the window. One thing that I think is really interesting in verse 17, again, like just reading it again and again, I just find it so interesting like how Rahab, 
takes so much accountability, right? She's like, she's, she's thinking about her, her family, herself, um, the children, and these men are always like, whoa, 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 you know, like, if you don't do it this way, it's not, it's not our problem. It's just so interesting, you know, it's like, I don't know, I just find it very odd, like, you know, they, there's, there's, they, they really don't want to take any responsibility for doing the bare, more than the bare minimum, it seems, but that's, that's an aside. Anyway, so the other thing I, want, I thought was really interesting was um, how they, t um, they use this, this, this uh, window reference, and um, we actually were, it was kind of like serendipitous, right? We were, we were looking at this the Jewish Women Archives website and, and just learning more about Rahab. And they talk about the window motif and how in other, other aspects, like with Jezebel and, and, and Michal, um, how oftentimes they use the window to, to refer to like women looking out from at the palace and as, a, as an observer but not really playing an active role in what's going on. But Rahab is, she's putting the red cord down. She's like, let's get to work, getting you guys out of here, which just kind of illustrates again, like this contrast of, of Rahab inserting herself in this story, inserting herself in, in what she believes God to be doing. And I think this kind of, again, illustrates just, um, um, just how uh, active and a participant she was, you know, so. Yes. Yeah, that is a good point. She's not observing. She is, she's active and involved. I think the wall seems really significant, too. There's a little detail in here that I was um, reading more about. The description of her living arrangement in the wall um, is apparently a common building practice in ancient cities. They would build two parallel walls on the outer side of the city for fortification. And then the space between those walls, they would divide up for storage or living accommodations. Um, so her house literally is within these outer layers of the city. And as you said earlier, her social position as a prostitute meant that she was on the margins of society. And here she is physically on the margins of the city. Um, and, you know, when we talk about people on the margins, I literally think of like a page in a book. The margin is off to the side, alongside the story, where the story's happening. Um, so people on the margins are being left out. And here she is on the margins, but she's acting in faith to participate in the center of this whole story and what God is is doing yeah i think that's just really great Note, noting things that probably in ancient times they would have taken this for granted but just seeing kind of the imagery mm -hmm. of how um someone on the margins could be playing such an important role um so I'll, I'll finish reading this story so the last several verses um verse 22 the spies went out and entered the highlands they stayed there for three days until those chasing them came back those chasing them had searched all the way along the road but never found them and the two men came back from the, down from the highlands. They crossed the Jordan and came to Joshua, Nun's son. They told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, the Lord has definitely given the land, entire land into our power. In addition, all of the land's population has melted down in fear because, so sorry, this is, this is kind of funny just because of what we were just listening to for, with Rahab. Anyway, so um, uh, um, how does... We're at the end of the story. Their mission is accomplished. Um, how does this story land for you? 
Um, well, when let me ask you that first, Iboro, because when we were first talking this through, you pointed out something that was really not sitting with you oh. well. Oh, yeah. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So I think like every time I read this story, I think a lot, and maybe I'm leaning into my identity um, as a minority and as a, as a BIPOC person, but I think a lot about kind of how the predominant theme here is, in my opinion, kind of an important theme is a war and conquest based on a religious mandate, based on their belief that God had called them to take over this land. And just think about what Phil was saying earlier, like just remembering we're on indigenous land right now, right? And just thinking about kind of like, and I just loved his description of how, how they cared for the land. Like we don't often attribute ourselves to caring for the land, but like that, the, that being stewards. Um, and so I think like it, it, the reading the reading the Old Testament sometimes can be a little bit hard because it feels like, um, you know, like well my God said this and we're in there, you know. Um, but at the same time, I think like what um, I'm learning, especially at Circle, um, is just sitting with it, rest, wrestling with it, endeavoring to go deeper. And I think the nice thing is that for me, and staying with it, there are still some some I think insights from Rahab that I really um, uh, resonated with, especially with um, how she was portrayed as, a, as, how she was portrayed as a woman. Yeah, thank you. That's really important to acknowledge. Um, and jumping around in these stories of the Old Testament doesn't leave a lot of space for us to do a deep dive, but it definitely brings up these bigger questions about violence in the Old Testament. Um, about why God's promise of, of this land to the Israelite people was so important. Um, so there's not space to get into that bigger conversation, but it is, I'm really glad you brought it up. It's important to acknowledge. And um, if you want to stick around afterwards, I am sure that Dr. Jim Getz would get into a very deep conversation <laughs> with all of us about violence in the Old Testament and the significance of land. Um, but yeah, to bring it back to Rahab, um, for this moment, I'm, I'm wondering if just what you're taking away from this story and even your time in it this, this past week or two. Yeah, I think I, I, I go back to kind of thinking about the lens for which I, I generally look at the Bible and just thinking about the, it being divinely human. So for me, I love the messiness. I love, I love kind of things not being clear because that's how I view my life. It's not clear. So I think that like, I just look at it like Rahab was like, she had a decision to make. You know, the king was like, where, the, where are these guys at? And she made a decision, and maybe it wasn't necessarily the truth, but um, I, one of the things I love about this series is just listening to other people's perspectives. And so every time I was reading this, I was thinking <laughs> it may feel awkward to Jim. But I was thinking about Jim's depiction of Esther, and she's just like, she made, she made a decision. She, made, she took a risk. And I, I don't know, in this time and age, that speaks to me so much because... I don't necessarily have someone from on high telling me what to do. Um, I don't know if other people have that experience. But so, but, but then t b believing that, kind of going forward with that, and then 
Julie pointed out later, like look at now in the New Testament how they viewed Rahab, you know? So um, I, I, I think like that's, that's something that I, I take from it, just kind of being uh, courage and kind of standing up and, uh, just, and, and at the intersection of her identity, not being an Israelite, being a prostitute, othered in so many ways, yet here she is being a, um, a huge champion for what, um, you know, God, what they believe God was trying to do. And taking her place in the story. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's what I've been sitting with, is how did other ancestors of faith view Rahab? Um, she is mentioned in the New Testament in, in the genealogy of Jesus. She's the mother of Boaz, if you know that story. Um, and she's also mentioned in Hebrews 11, where they're talking about um, ancestors of faith who are honored for um, uh, acting in faith uh, on what is not, not yet seen. And then she's also mentioned in James, uh, James 2, where for not just having faith, but acting on that faith. The author of James is talking about um, faith without deeds is dead. And she may have held a healthy dose of fear and unknown, but she believed that God, the God of the Israelites, uh, was the God of heaven and earth. And she trusted enough and had enough courage and faith to act on that and say, your God can save me through you. And she became a part of the story to be remembered for all throughout the centuries. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected, visit circleofhope.church. You can also find us on Instagram or Facebook at circleofhope.net.